This is the message given by Pastor Rudy Rubio during the morning worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for December 31st, 2023. The title of the message is, Ain't Nothing Like the Real Thing. Good morning, Faith. Good morning. Good morning. What a blessing and an honor to be here with you all this morning. What a great way to end the year, right? Thank you, sister. You were the only one that said right. (laughs) Faith, what a great way to end the year, right? In the house of the Lord on the Lord's day to worship him. Amen? Amen. Look alive, fam. I'm going to give you guys a bad report card to Pastor James when he comes back. Well, we've, we've now sang the word, we have had a chance to pray the word, and now we'll get into the preach word. Amen? Amen. amen. Yeah, I like the dialogue. I like to go back and forth, so feel free to shout amen or whatnot. Just don't throw no tomatoes at me. Uh, what will we be preaching today? I'll tell you what we won't be preaching. Won't be here to tell you that tomorrow on January 1st, your year of breakthrough begins. It won't be to preach that this coming year will be your year of increase or that things will finally turn around for you in 2024. What we'll preach today is what we preach and teach every single Sunday, that you must repent and believe. That if you confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. The story and the message doesn't change. We need to hear the gospel every day. Do you know why? Because we forget the gospel every day. Friends, this morning we'll be in the book of Hebrews. Uh, quick facts. As we uh, get to the book of Hebrews, we really don't know who wrote it, nor who the intended audience was. But what we do know is that the author is assumed to have understood that the readers had a working knowledge of Old Testament scripture. You see, the author expected the audience to know some important things like Abraham's family becoming the nation of Israel, about Moses leading them out of slavery from Egypt to Mount Sinai, where they received the law, made a covenant with God, and built a tabernacle where priests offered sacrifices. The reader is assumed to have understood Israel's wandering in the wilderness en route to the promised land, just as I'm sure all of you are very familiar and versed with these stories. Now, most likely, the original audience was a Jewish Christian congregation that was struggling with disputes between their new faith in Christ and mainstream Judaism. And like many of us today, we too can get caught up in a culture of disputes between what we know to be true Christianity and false religions that claim to be Christians. Jehovah's Witnesses, Roman Catholics, Mormons, and other folks consider themselves to be spiritual. Some follow a specific God or gods or even doctrine. Others use crystals, chakras, tarot, or even the Enneagram, and are forever putting stuff out to the universe But you see, we know that even demons consider themselves spiritual too. So it's not about being spiritual. It's about knowing Jesus. That was a great spot to say amen, by the way. But the real Jesus, because there ain't nothing like the real thing. The real Jesus of the Bible, the one, not the one from Islam that acknowledges him as being a holy man and a holy prophet, but denies his deity. The real Jesus, the second person of the Holy Trinity, not the one that Mormons claim to be Satan's brother. The real Jesus that came to us as God incarnate, not the one Jehovah's Witnesses deny his divinity. We need to know the real Jesus. The real deal Holyfield, 
the very one who has been referred to in the form of types and shadows in the Old Testament from the very beginning up until the birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Jesus in the New Testament. Because only by believing in this Jesus can we be saved. Now, although we're done with the Advent season and look back towards Christ's first coming, and we presently look towards and expect his second coming, I want to address this morning the significance of his resurrection by looking at the foundation of Christ's heavenly priesthood. The book of Hebrews has two main goals, and the first is this, friends, to elevate Jesus above all things. And the second is for the people like you and I to remain faithful to Jesus despite persecution in its many forms. Let me say that last part again in case you blinked. To remain faithful to Jesus despite persecution in its many forms. So with that, I'm going to ask you to please open up your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. We'll be in the seventh chapter, verses 23 through 28. But first, I want to open up from the very beginning of Hebrews 1 to kind of set that up as a segue to Hebrews 7. So we'll be at Hebrews 7. 23 through 28, but I want to start off in Hebrews 1. Can you humor me, Faith? Can you please join me if your health allows you to stand up for the reading of God's word? If your health, if your health permits, I will start off at Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, and then I'll use that as a segue to Hebrews 7, 23 through 28. Let me get an amen when you were there. Amen. amen. And the word of God reads as follows, friends. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than heirs. And now let us jump over to Hebrews 7, 23. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Christ, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, for, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints the Son who has been made perfect forever. Friends, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Please be seated in his presence, friends. Now may the Lord richly bless the reading and preaching of his word. Our big idea is this, and please forgive my ghetto sanctified vocabulary and thought process, okay? But our big idea is this, that Christ is the real deal, the true and living God, not some bootleg copy. Christ is the real deal, the true and living God, not some bootleg copy. And I'll break it down, or we'll break it down in three simple ways. And the first we'll see in verse 23 of the seventh chapter, the former things. 
Verses 25 through 26, we'll see, secondly, the present things. Verses 24, 27 through 28, we'll see the future things. You with me, faith? Let's get started. In the first place, the former things, verse 23, that reads, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. As I said, types and shadows. Types and shadows is a phrase that references the way in which Jesus was shown to us in the Old Testament. An example, in the garden, as soon as man fell, we see that God tells us of Jesus in what is known as the Proto-Evangelion. Are you all familiar with that passage, with that phrase, that, that label, that word? It is the first gospel which was shown to us in Genesis 3.15, in which God is addressing the serpent for having caused the fall, and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, although we see no mention of the name Jesus, we know that God is telling the serpent that he will place hostility between the seed of the woman, one of her descendants and his, and that although this seed, whom we know to be Jesus, even though the serpent will hurt him by bruising his heel, ultimately Christ will crush his head. And we know that this happened by Christ killing or overcoming death on the cross. Amen, faith? Amen, Amen. good. And, and this confirmation from what both New and Old Testament say, the Old Testament tells us in the book of Prophets, Isaiah 5, I'm sorry, 25, 8, that, that he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. Isn't that good news? And in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 54 through 55, the apostle confirms this prophecy has come true through Jesus saying, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Now, as we're addressing priests specifically, we need to understand why this is so important. You see, we need to remember that Christ held three offices, right? Or three roles that he fulfilled. You see, before him, there was a long line of prophets, priests and kings. But unlike all those who came before him, Jesus bears all three of the roles and fulfills them perfectly. As prophet, he came to speak to us on behalf of God directly, because he is God. As king, he came to rule over us, his people, his bride, the church. As priest, he came to make a sacrifice on behalf of all of his people in order to make our wrongs right with God and to pay what is owed. And this sacrifice is what God's wrath was ultimately laid upon once and for all. Now, it is imperative that we be mindful that in the former ways and with former things, the priests would have to offer daily sacrifices for the people as well as for their own sin. So we know that this system was weak and temporary, waiting for something better and more permanent to come in its place. Not only that, but we read that the former priests, though they were many in number, because they were prevented by death from continuing office, meaning they were mortals. They died, so therefore they could not continue to intercede on our behalf. There were many priests for the times up until Christ. Heinrich Bullinger, a magisterial reformer, said this. He said, the former priests were many in number, and reasonably so. 
because mortals would need successors. But Christ is a single and unique priest, and reasonably so. For since he is eternal and immortal, he has no need whatsoever for successors. So while there is a consistent need for generation after generation of priests to intercede on behalf of God's people and to continue offering daily sacrifices after sacrifice after sacrifice so that the sins of the people might temporarily satisfy God's wrath, it's obvious this could not go on forever. It was temporary. It was a type and shadow of something far greater and far better to come. And Christ, my friends, is the real deal. He came to fulfill promises and to fulfill prophecy. He came to be the final and eternal priest for his people. No longer offering sacrifices of goats, heifers, or bulls, but instead the beautiful, perfect, and spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Amen. Amen. Ain't nothing like the real thing, friends. Nothing like the real thing to attend to the things of the present, which is our second point in verses 25 through 26. The present things. The Word of God continues to say that consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we, would, that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Friends, consequently, Jesus actually saves completely or at all times. No more temporary. Christ came to fulfill the Old Testament promises of God and to deal with the here and the now. Because he is the perfect sacrifice, Christ, God in the flesh, came to us, his people. He's an up-close God, not far and distant. He walked amongst those he came to save. He didn't just snap his fingers, although he very well could have done that. But no, he chose to take on flesh and dwell amongst his people. He lived the perfect life we never could. He was tempted in every way we were, yet he never sinned. He had to experience everything we did. Think about that for a second. The creator of all things experienced hunger. The creator of all things experienced pain. He suffered betrayal and mistrust. He suffered physical abuse and humiliation for the sake of a group of raggedy folks that wanted nothing to do with him. Raggedy folks equals you and I, friends. We are those people that Christ came to dwell amongst and die for. And we read now that he always lives to make intercession for us. Not lived, but lives. Currently, presently, this is still happening. He is a God who is alive. Do y'all know what it means that he intercedes for us? It means that he now stands before God, intervening on our behalf. He stands before the altar of God making an eternal sacrifice for us. The eternal one, not the temporary one, of the Old Testament priests, but an eternal propitiation. This is why God, this is why Christ is the eternal priest, friends. He was prophesied of old and ushered in the perfect and eternal priesthood that he would stand before God make a perfect and final sacrifice, one that saves to the uttermost. 
a priest that loved his people so much that he had to intercede to do for us what we would never be able to do for ourselves. He's the real deal. He came to us. We don't have to carry that burden around working hard to try to save ourselves doing this, that, or the other, trying to gain God's favor. You have any idea how hard that is? How tiring it would be to try to save ourselves or keep ourselves being saved? Now, there are people and churches that are, are so legalistic, thinking that God has a scorecard every day, just waiting to see all the wrongs that we do. You don't wear a tie to church, you get a bad mark. Young lady, your skirt is a quarter inch too high above your knee, you get a bad mark. Oh, you only read your Bible for 25 minutes instead of 30, you get a bad mark. You haven't memorized the Heidelberg Catechism, I'm sorry, Presbyterian. You haven't read the Westminster Confession of Faith, bad mark. No, we always do our best to try to give God our absolute best efforts because he deserves nothing less than that. We shouldn't slack. But friends, there is nothing, absolutely nothing that we can do to gain more of God's favor. We already got it on the cross. And there is nothing, nothing that beats that. Early church father, John Chrysostom, one of my favorites, said this regarding verse 25 that addresses Christ saving to the uttermost. He asks, to the uttermost? What is it? Not for a time only, but they're also in the future life. The future things, point three, verses 24, 27, and 28. But he, Christ, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. You see, friends, again, Jesus is the real deal. I will not get tired of saying it. As Christ intercedes for us, as he stands before God the Father and has offered himself as a final sacrifice for his people, he saves forever. Not temporary like the Old Testament priests. Verse 25, his priesthood is permanent because he continues forever. Verse 27, he sacrificed himself, and he did this once and for all. Verse 28, he's the son who has been made perfect forever. Christ came to fulfill Old Testament prophecies that were given to us once as types and shadows. He was there, present, live and direct to give himself on the cross as a propitiation, a payment owed to God for the crimes you and I have committed against him. And this payment was not a temporary one as those priests in the Old Testament because Christ holds a perpetual priesthood and he saves completely. This completely abolishes the notion of purgatory. Either Christ's sacrifice was enough or it wasn't. And if it wasn't, then he is not God. You feel me? You understand what I'm saying, Faith? If Christ's sacrifice was not enough, then he is not God. You see, Christ was a type of priest, but he had no need, again, of offering daily sacrifices for himself. Why? Because he was without sin. First Peter, don't take my word for it, First Peter 2.22 says, he committed no sin. 
Neither was deceit found in his mouth. But he had to be tempted just like us. He had to know and fully live a life like ours, yet never succumbing to the temptations. But don't take my word for it. Hebrews 2.18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Are you picking up what I'm putting down, friends? Amen. Because he endured what we couldn't, and because he didn't sin like we did, and because he loves his people, Christ offered himself as the pure sacrifice on our behalf. He paid a debt that we owed, and his payment is final, once and for all, everlasting to everlasting. That is it. So dear Christian, friend, brother, sister, please know that God knows your struggles. Please know that he is fully aware of all of those things that you may try to hide from everybody else. Please know that he is aware of your pain and your struggles. He died on the cross to give us an eternal healing and to remove our shame. He gave his life that you might have peace knowing that you are right in the palm of his hand and no one can snatch you from there. No one. When we endure troubles in this world, because we will, if you haven't yet, give it a second, it will, be mindful that they are only temporary. The Christian should not be overly concerned with the things of this world because we know that there is so much more ahead of this world. Because there's so much more to go after this world, friends. We know that Christ overcame all. And because he overcame, so shall we. He came to give us life, but not just any life, an abundant life, a spiritually abundant life, one filled with peace that no matter how bad things seem to be around us, he came to give us joy. No matter if the world is falling apart around us as it is, he came that we might trust in him no matter how sickness affects us or our families, that we know that in Christ, when this life ends, it truly begins. It was said during the Reformation that we should call death life, end of labor, and beginning of everlasting joy. And if death and what's after has not been something that you've thought about, friends, I'd encourage you to consider. There is no need to fret, no need to be anxious, just a need to trust in what Jesus did. Trust in his eternal priesthood and what he has done because it remains. You see, every single one of us is going to live forever. You with me? Every single one of us is going to live forever. Everyone, believers and unbelievers alike, will live forever. The only difference is going to be our address. That's it. We will live forever. The question is where? Romans 10.9 says clearly, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You know, we see and hear about folks dying all the time. Famous people, left and right. And you see, rest in peace, rest in peace, rest in peace. And I always prayed, Lord, I hope they knew and trusted in you. Because if they didn't, I promise you they're not resting in peace. And what a great testimony that we have to teach an unbelieving world, friends.
that no matter what is happening around us, because our eternal priest secured us in the palm of his hand, everything else can fall by the wayside. It doesn't mean that we won't doubt. It doesn't mean that we won't go through difficult times, but trusting in the finished work of Christ should help, see, help us see things through the gospel lens, which will change our perspective on everything. Because you see, friends, the fact that Christ did rise from the dead is a game changer. One we can look to and embrace and trust that that will bring us peace, the kind of peace that only God promises. His peace that surpasses all human understanding because we know that when we are in him, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Amen? So where does that leave us today, friends? Anybody got a competitive spirit in here? Oh, that's so bad. Well, I'm going to challenge you anyways, Faith, okay? I got a congregational challenge for you all. And it's going to come in the form of this question. Answer it in your head. Was Christ's death on the cross enough, yes or no? We've got two options, yes or no. Let's go through them both. Let's work it through. There's no place for a maybe. It's either yes or no. If you answered yes, that Christ's death on the cross was enough, well, it was enough to save you and keep you saved. But you see, the apostle Paul, he had doubts. He struggled with sin. He said in Romans 7 that he struggled to do the things that he did that he wanted to do, and instead he did the things that he didn't want to do. He said, oh, wretched man that I am. But listen to this bold and clear statement he makes in Romans 8, 38 through 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Friends, in Christ we are secure. So his death was enough, is enough to keep us. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And I think we quoted the Heidelberg Catechism question one maybe somewhere in our liturgy this morning. Well, you know, I come from a Dutch Reformed background. I'm sorry. But the Heidelberg, Confed, the Heidelberg Catechism from 1563, Lord's Day 1, question regarding our only comfort in life and death is answered in this way. Listen to what it says. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has delivered me from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can call, well, not my head, but not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation because I belong to him, Christ. By his Holy Spirit also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Was Christ's death on the cross enough? Yes. If you answered no, then sadly his death was not enough to save you or keep you saved. His death was in vain and we are ruined. All of our efforts are in vain for we will roam aimlessly in acts of good deeds trying to earn our way into heaven. We will tire in our efforts to earn merit from God by trying to check off boxes that we think are needed in order to be saved or to stay saved. If Christ's death was not enough, friends, then we will have to do, try to do our part after God has done his in hopes of it being enough 
not just to get us saved, but to keep us saved. But dear friends, let me put you at ease once again. There is no thing or no one who can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? Jesus said in John 10, 28 through 30, his sheep hear his voice and he gives them eternal life. And they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of his hand. He said his father who has given them to him is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. He goes on to say, I and the father are one. So friends, for those of us who have trusted the gospel of the Lord Jesus, we're going to be okay. It's all going to work out in the end. And for those that don't believe, listen to what the canons of Dort teach in the second main point of doctrine in Article 6 regarding unbelief being man's responsibility. It says, however, that many who have been called through the gospel do not repent or believe in Christ, but perish in unbelief is not because the sacrifice of Christ offered on the cross is deficient or insufficient, but because they themselves are at fault. The responsibility is on them for not believing. To help us keep things into perspective, because I'm a kind of person, I'm always going back and forth, right? St. Augustine had uh, these four questions to challenge on Christ's sacrifice. Very simple questions. I want to offer them to you today. Regarding Christ's sacrifice, by whom was it offered? The sacrifice was offered by God's Son, the second person of the Holy Trinity. To whom was it offered? The sacrifice was offered to God directly, that it might satisfy his wrath against the sin of his chosen people. What was offered to God? The sacrifice that was offered was the perfect, spotless Lamb of God as a one-time, all-sustaining sacrifice to fulfill payment in full for all time. Now, for whom was it offered? The sacrifice was offered to atone, to pay finally and fully for the sins of the people that would repent of their sins and place their faith in Christ and in Christ alone for their salvation, God's elect. Friends, there's no need for anxiety. There's no need for fear. No need for depression concerning what we owe to God. If you have truly placed your faith in Jesus, friends, then be at peace knowing that Christ's sacrifice, our eternal priest, has paid our debt. And nothing, and when I say nothing, I mean nothing can take that away. The life of Christ is a game changer, friends. His sacrifice should blow our minds and is something to be embraced, knowing that the holiest of holies stooped down into a broken world to save a bunch of ratchet folks like us. I mean wretched, I'm sorry. I say ratchet, same thing. Remember that Jesus is worthy of all of our trust and devotion. So trust in our eternal priest who gave the ultimate sacrifice for you and let your labor be motivated by love and endurance inspired by the hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? May all we do, big or small, be done with love, out of gratitude for our Savior having given his best for our worst. Let's pray. Eternal God, who are we 
that you would be mindful of us. Not only having saved us when we weren't looking to be saved, but for seeing something in us we probably never see in ourselves. No matter what this world has to say about us, no matter what haters think of us, no matter what kind of labels folks want to place on us or think less of us, we know what we mean to you. You showed us your love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. May we ever embrace this truth and serve you and your church in gratitude. We pray this all in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and all of God's redeemed shouted, Amen. Amen.